0: Good morning. For those that are visiting, we are in a series the second week talking about culture. And here's the question we looked at last week. What does it look like to impact our culture instead of our culture dictating to us how we should live? And the verse we looked at is in First Chronicles twelve thirty two. Talked about the men of Issachar. Men who had understanding of the times to know what Israel ought to do. Now, thinking about that question for a moment, we have to ask the inevitable question is, at this present day, the year 2018, is the culture impacting the church more or is the church impacting the culture more? If you were gonna give an honest assessment of that, what would you say? Now, I talk to the people that are between They're out of high school, and they're between whatever you want to say before they get married and get settled in jobs and other kinds of things. And I asked them that question, and they said that the culture has impacted the church more. So I asked them, what are you going to do about it? And I ask all of us, because I think while the boomers sat back and complained about their parents, they became more enculturated than their parents were. And so I ask everyone this morning, what are you going to do about it? I mean, we're called to make disciples. Those are the words of Jesus in Matthew 28. Go and make disciples. And it's more than getting people to pray a prayer. It's more than getting information into people. So often when we isolate and we ignore, we create holocausts. We allow evil to win. And of course... You've heard this phrase before that, you know, evil will grow when good men do nothing. And of course, in our culture today, the fact they use the phrase good men, some people be upset because that's, I don't know what it is, but I should have said good people, right? But when you quote someone, we're called to help people. And what we have to help them with is learning how to thirst for God. What we have to help them is learning how to be in love with Jesus because all this stuff that we talk about is a relationship. It's not about an address and a place, a church building. It's about people. And disciples, observe what Christ has called us to be and do. That's what discernment is. And a lack of discernment leads to a multiplicity of religious factions that divide themselves rather than unite together for the cause of Christ. And that's what happens when culture dictates into the church rather than the church dictating into the culture. And do I need to remind us, I mentioned this before when I first came, I found 60 different factions of Baptists. Baptists can't even get along with each other. <laughs> let alone all the other denominations in America that we kind of trivialize unimportant things. There's two passages I want to look at. The first is Matthew 20, and the second is in Matthew chapter 14. I think it was a kind of a background for this morning. And here's the setting of Matthew 20. Jesus is telling them for the third time, I'm going to die, but I'm going to come back. And, you know, they just didn't quite get it. In fact, they're sitting around, and what are they arguing about? They're arguing who's going to sit in the power seat. Because they still think Jesus is going to set up a physical empire, going to take down the Romans, going to take down the Pharisees and Sadducees. There's going to be a new power kingdom, and they're arguing over who's going to be in the left, who's going to be on the right. Two of them got mom involved. <laughs> And mom went to Jesus saying, listen, my boys are good boys. But here's what Jesus says to them. Even as the son of man came not to be served, but to serve and give his life a ransom for many. In other words, here's what I have done. Here's what you need to do. But look at the context. We have disciples praying selfishly. And the fellowship is in an uproar. And so we have to ask ourselves, do we want to be more like Jesus? Does it cost us anything? Christ left this massive expanse that we call heaven, and he moved into a tiny apartment. I mean, think about God himself coming down and confining himself to a physical body of a baby. See, followers of Jesus, we allow him to set the agenda. His agenda is, I came not to be served, but I came to serve and give my life a ransom for many. That's what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Now, let's look at the other passage, Matthew chapter 14, verses 13 and 14. Again, the setting's important. John the Baptist just is beheaded. Very unjust situation. We can say he died at an early age. He shouldn't have. He was only in his 30s. But here's what happened. And Jesus comes along and here's what happens after that. Now, when Jesus heard this, John the Baptist being killed, he withdrew from there in a boat to a desolate place by himself. But when the crowds heard it, they followed him on foot from the towns. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd and he had compassion on them and healed their sick. This phrase, compassion, we find 12 times in the New Testament. Eight of them are used by Jesus. In the parables, they're used three times where Jesus tells stories. The first one is about the king who has compassion on a bankrupt servant. The servant had an immeasurable amount of money to pay back. King had compassion, and he forgives him. So that story is about forgiveness. The second story is about a Samaritan who helps a Jewish victim. The Samaritan, who's an enemy of the Jew, had compassion, it says, on the Jewish victim. And he went and served him. The lesson being that we should love our enemies. The third story is about a father of compassion on his rebellious son. A son who took his estate, who squandered his estate, who hurt a lot of people. And, of course, the lesson is that we're to have compassion on people who wound us. See, with Jesus, he talks about this culture of compassion. Now, I realize the difficult part of the discussion is what does compassion look like? And yet, in the three stories Jesus tells, it looks like forgiveness, it looks like loving difficult people, and it looks like loving people who wound us. Those are three pictures we can look at. But here's the point. Compassion does something. Love does. It's worked out in community. And what people do not need is our pity and our sympathy. What they do need is our compassion. They need tangible actions that engage and help people see Jesus. I'm going to show you a picture. I think it's there. Anybody know who that is? I doubt you do because he's been... Retired for 18 years. His name is David Dutchman. He retired in 2000. For those in the business world, you would have known him. He was an international marketing executive. He is worth millions. When he retired, he could do anything he wanted. He could sail anywhere. He could fly. He had enough money that he could just sit back coast, spend it all himself, say, listen, man, I put in time, now it's my time. He walks into Atlanta hospital to do a seminar, and he's moved with Compassion. And he decided to serve. See, what he saw there was the NICU. It's where premature babies are born. And if you know anything about premature babies, what they need is human touch. If they're going to survive, they need someone to hold them. And so in this ward, there was a lot of single parents who had to go work and they needed volunteers to come and sit and hold babies in eight-hour shifts. And that's what he's been doing for the last 12 years. Two days a week. Eight hours a day. He goes in and holds premature babies. This picture, a mother that lived two hours away from the hospital who had worked She came in one day and she saw her son being held by this man. She was moved to tears. She took a picture, put it on the hospital website. In one day, it received a quarter of a million hits and likes. Instant celebrity. You can Google this guy's name now and it comes up everywhere. Do you know what it tells me? Tells me that people are hungry for someone to show them a better way. People are hungry for people that are willing to serve instead of take. They're hungry for people that give them hope and say, listen, what can I do rather than what can you do for me? I mean, we live in that entitled world, that victim mentality that says, listen, you know, it's all about me. There comes along a very wealthy guy who says, no, it's not about me. It's about a little kid in order to survive, has to be held. I want to invite to the front two people, uh, Rich Wallen and Gloria Groff. They've retired too. So if you'll come up, where are you guys sitting? I know they're nervous. I chose someone who has fairly recently retired and someone who's been retired for a long time, you're going to guess who it is. <laughs> Here's your microphone. Um, I'd like to say they're part of our Reds ministry. You know what Reds ministry is? Retired and extremely dangerous. <laughs> Amen. Amen. That's the way to go. By the way, I, I didn't make that up. If you saw the movie Reds, that's where I got it from. And said, that's kind of cool, you know? Retired and extremely dangerous because only in America now... <laughs> I mean, we have 20 years left after we retire. And think about the possibilities because people don't have to pay us. Think about the possibilities because we have time on our hands. So both these people decided to serve. Sometimes through my encouragement and sometimes just saying, go upstairs, sit down, hear someone's story. So here's the question I want, because it's not what you do, but that's important. But I want to know, how has that changed your life? By engaging and serving in an area you thought you could never serve. Okay? Who wants to go first? How about age before beauty? (laughs) Now they're really confused. Gloria, why don't you go first? Why don't you go? I mean, can can you believe, can I say how old you are? She's 86. Now you're supposed to say she doesn't look a day over 70. But uh, at 86, you engage and you're serving in DR, Discovery Recovery. How has that changed your life and your perspective?
1: First of all, you you encouraged me to.
0: There's a button here somewhere. Red. There we go. Okay. First of all, it
1: was Pastor Greg that encouraged me to go upstairs to just see what discovery recovery was. And I started Sunday mornings, and then I started Thursday evenings. I saw the hurt and the rejection and the loneliness and all, all the brokenness in these people I also saw how the Lord uh, had saved many and had transformed lives, and one evening before the meeting started on a Thursday night, James and I were talking, and I said to James, if only I could really feel, really know their hurt and their brokenness, then I could help them maybe. Maybe I could do more. And a couple nights later, lying in bed, I was thinking over this conversation. And it hit me. Who do I think I am? It's not about me. It's about Christ. I never was totally rejected. Christ was. I was never abandoned by friends when I needed them most. Christ was. I was never bruised and beaten. Christ was. And God laid all my sins, all my conceit and jealousy and, and everything in me, as well as the sins of a recovering addict on the cross. And because he was rejected, we are accepted. And because he was bruised and broken, we are healed. And because of All this, it was only Christ. It wasn't me. It's not about me. It's not about us. And yet, God commands that we love, but he gives us the love. He commands that we comfort, but that's through the comfort he has already given us. And he asks us to serve and to be witnesses for him, but he gives us the strength to do it. It's not about us. It's about Christ. Christ has to be glorified. He has to be first. Paul even said in Romans, I glory in Christ Jesus in my service to Christ. That's powerful. Did I answer the question?
0: You're doing good. <laughs> now, <laughs> I need to ask you this question, okay? Yeah. What came first, the service or the compassion? Uh, the compassion. Okay. Uh, I don't. Because I, I thought you went up there first, then you were moved. Oh yeah. Okay, so service, oh, yeah. had... service, service oh. preceded the compassion.
1: Oh yeah. Okay. But may I say one more thing? Let me tell you about Darlene. A couple weeks ago, no, it's just two weeks ago. She came Thursday night, and she had her arm in a black sling. And I said, what did you do to your arm? She said, I slipped on the ice, and I really messed up my hand. I said, did you see someone? She said, she saw an orthopedic surgeon. She had an MRI. She's waiting for the results. She might have to have surgery. And she said, he wrote out a prescription and handed it to me. And she said to the doctor, what's this for? He said, it's a narcotic. It'll help your pain. She said, I don't want this. He said, you're going to have a lot of pain. You'll need it. She said, I don't want it. He said, why? She said, I'm a recovering addict. I've been clean for 10 months, and I'm not about ready to go out in the streets.
0: Yeah. All right.
1: That's perseverance. You people are struggling. You're trying so hard. You're searching, and you're seeking, or you won't be here. But you've got the Lord on your side, and you've got a whole family who loves you and prays for you. Hang in there. The Lord's on your side.
0: You. Okay. Rich. All right. Uh,
2: I'm going to give a disclaimer. My ba- bass voice may turn to a trembling tremor, and my eyes might start to leak. Those of you who know me know that. Um, So here goes, Uh, when I was ready to retire back in 2015, I uh, asked God, I said, so what do you want me to do with all this extra time I'm gonna have? Pastor Greg challenged me to go visit uh, Discovery Recovery. (laughs) So, I went to a Thursday night and uh, it didn't take
0: long. Now, now, Rich, I was but, told that when you start, yeah. your eyes start where I'm supposed to pull your little finger.
2: Yeah, it doesn't is that? work. It doesn't I, work? I, 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 need, I need Linda up here to smack me, but okay. she wouldn't come. Uh, the honesty, sincerity, the transparency, and the enthusiasm that I saw humbled me and put me to shame. And I realized that I was basically a lazy sleeping Christians sitting out here in the congregation complaining that my preferences weren't being met. And it was a serious wake-up call, and God smacked me and woke me up and humbled me and... I started going to Thursday nights, and you could probably count on the fingers of one hand in the last three years that I've missed a Thursday night. And I started to get to know them and heard their stories and realized they're no different than the rest of us. And, you know, we all search for joy, happiness, contentment, excitement, thrill, satisfaction, peace, and freedom, and so on. Some look for it in sex, some in shopping, some in overeating, some in alcohol, some in work, some in sports, some in drugs, some in pornography. There's no end to the sins that we seek to pursue, to try and find, you know, satisfaction That we can only find in a right relationship with God. It's all sin. Some are more socially acceptable than others. Uh, And I started out driving the van, and you can, uh, you know, do mentoring and encouragement just in driving the van. But after a couple of months, I started mentoring some guys. with the first one, and then others. And over the last three years, I've kind of lost count of the guys that I've mentored. Some have been successful, some have not. Uh, We sow the seed, and it's up to God to, uh, and up to them to, you know, uh, follow the directions. Um, But uh, being a mentor, you know if you you you're an encourager and you're being a friend is is really what you're doing you know I'm no bible scholar but you're being a friend and an encourager and and most of the folks in discovery recovery have never had anybody that believed in them encouraged them and, and stood by them and that's what you're doing when you're being a mentor and um you know i I have been a successful general contractor, a project manager uh, i 've done a lot of exciting, cool, successful things in my life i 'm a pilot i 've been a, a, um, i 've flown for several museums and flown a lot of cool airplanes, but nothing that I have done in my life short of Except for accepting Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior and Mary and my wife, Dawn, has come close to being as rewarding and meaningful as being a mentor and being involved in discovery, recovery. God has made me it taken me from being, you know, kind of self-centered from to be a servant and it has
0: changed my life. Okay. Why don't you express your appreciation for them sharing? <laughs> now I hope you heard from their perspectives that service came before compassion. A lot of times we wait for compassion to come. You no, know, sometimes we just need to engage. So here's the question I want to ask you this morning. I've been asking a lot of questions. What kind of culture do we desire to have at GBC? I mean, do we want an entertainment culture, an entitlement culture, a victim mentality, a tribal culture? We talked about all those things last week. That's our culture. But if we want a kingdom of God culture, we have to ask, how do we celebrate those behaviors we desire? You know, last week, we had Drew and Dane on stage. Drew was an addict. He's clean now, a child of God, a husband, and soon to be a father. Dana was a young woman who's a daughter of God, who is a wife now and soon to be mother. In our American culture, let's be honest. We have a celebrity culture, which means we're enamored by professional actors. Two, we have an entertainment culture that says it's all about me. And three of a hero culture. We want someone else to save us. Now that's true in terms of Jesus Christ. But here we look for human saviors. We look for people to rescue us. So as the church. We must ask the question. Who influences us more? Now many of you know. I've been doing this for a long time. This is my 40th year. In ministry. And every church I've interviewed at. I will guarantee you. They say this. We want a church that's like Jesus, that's going to reach those outside the kingdom of God. Evangelism, discipleship. They all say that. But what I've noticed is that when it begins to happen, people get upset. Why? Because it changes things. When you have a transformed life, that's change. Change. In fact, it changes everything. And all of a sudden, it requires a different kind of service and a different kind of compassion. And what we have to understand, and we celebrated through communion this morning, is that the gospel is central, and without the gospel, the church ceases to be the church. And part of this being disciple thing, it is salt and light, and we have to listen and obey God's command. So I want you to think about, and I want you to imagine you're going to another culture that no one's ever been before. You're the first person there. You're the first follower of Jesus that has encountered this culture. What are some of the first things you would do? What's some of the long range stuff? What scares you, what excites you? And today, in America, the church, we live in American culture, and we have to ask those same questions. And, of course, the ultimate question is, are Jesus and I really interested in the same things? Now, if you've never seen this, here's our church mission statement, and here's what I call our elevator speech. You know what an elevator speech is? You get in the elevator with someone, you press the seventh floor, and they say, hey, tell me about GBC. This is what you say. Okay? Okay? Mission statement, it says, God has called us to intentionally make disciples so that we may more effectively reach out in creative ways to lost people. Nice sounding words. But do we have the compassion to serve that? The elevator speech, which is shorter, I like shorter, says our desire is to be a church that desires and hungers for God to restore all lives lost. So, the question we have to ask is what needs to be restored in our communities? What needs to be done? And what passions are a part of our lives when we begin to serve? See, culture says this I deserve, so you serve me. The kingdom of God says, I'm indebted, so I serve instead of being served. So, what's the point of the message? Here it is. One liner. You can serve God right where you're at. If you think about it in future tense, well I'm going to serve some, no no. You serve God right where you're at. In the midst of maybe a bad job, in the midst of some difficult family relationships, you serve God right where you're at. I want to close with an example. Now, I think there's a football game on today, isn't there? Some people ask me who I think is going to win. I have no idea. And what's my prediction for the game? Someone will win. Otherwise, they might give out participation trophies. How exciting would that be? But there's a football game. But there's a bigger game at stake. Let me talk about the quarterback who's not playing today for the Eagles, Carson Wentz. He plays football, but he looks at life differently than being a quarterback for the Eagles. His question is in fact, he has a little tattoo on his wrist, his right wrist. This is the right hand. And it's the A01, audience of one. It's a reminder that all of life for him, he plays, he serves to an audience of one. In fact, he started a foundation in 2017 called the Audience of One Foundation. Here's its mission statement. It's to demonstrate the love of God by providing opportunities and support for the less fortunate and those in need. But that is his life statement of purpose. No matter what I do in life, I live for an audience of one. And when he had an injury that took him out, he says, listen, I just live to an audience of one. See, the world does not need our pity. It needs our compassion. And compassion compels us to serve. And our lives must point to something and someone beyond ourselves because it's there we find peace. It's there we find joy. It's there we find purpose. And when you're in love with Jesus, you see, think, and live differently. Amen? Amen. Now, we're going to close in a moment and we're going to do a, a prayer together. It's a very ancient prayer. It's probably familiar to many people may not to be others but it's a great way to close out this whole idea of serving but thinking about that whole thing it all begins with introducing ourselves to Jesus and when you think about this whole mentality this counterculture things it begins when we encounter a relationship with Christ and like Rich said you know as Christians we can kind of lose it we can end up making it all about us But that's not where we should live. One of the traditions we have here at GBC is that if you're here this morning, you've been listening to some of this stuff, and you're saying, you know what, I want to have that kind of relationship with Christ. We kind of ask you to stand, and we want to celebrate that with you, and then we'll have somebody go outside with you to sit down and really kind of go through what I call the terms of agreement on this. But if you're here this morning and you would like to be in relationship with Christ, I'm going to ask you to stand up. And I'm going to stand back so the lights are out of my eyes so I can see. Is there anybody here that would like to accept Christ? Just kind of stand to your feet and we're going to pair you up with somebody. And if I don't see you, just kind of shout and throw something at me. Just don't hit me. Anybody wants to make that decision this morning? I'm going to put this prayer on the screen. Here's how we're going to pray. It's a prayer of St. Francis of Assisi. Many of you heard this, so why don't we stand together and pray this as a congregation? Pray with me. Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. Where there is hatred, let me sow love. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope. Where there's darkness, light. Where there's sadness, joy. O divine master, grant that I may not so much seek to be consoled as to console, to be understood as to understand, to be loved as to love. For it is in giving that we receive, it is in pardoning that we are pardoned, it is in dying that we are born to eternal life. Amen. God bless. May God's peace go with you.